Welcome to episode number 18 of In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. We're so glad that you're with us today. My name is Steve Webb. Today, Pastor Bennett will deal with the greatest verse in the Bible, the golden text of the Bible, John 3.16. So get your Bible out as we join Pastor Mel Bennett. Pastor? Thank you, Steve, and welcome to the podcast. This is number 18 that we're doing, if it's hard to believe it. Seems hard for me to believe that we've done 18 of these so far, but I keep thinking they're going to get easier for me, but it seems they get harder and harder. But let's see how we do today, okay? We're going to talk about the love of God, and we're going to look at John 3.16 as our text. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nearly everyone has a favorite text in the Bible. Here is a text that has been called a golden text and everyone's text. For the simple heart, verses carries the essence of the gospel. This verse tells us some great things about God's word and the gospel. First of all, it tells us that the initiative in all salvation lies with God. Sometimes we act and think that God has to be pacified. persuaded to forgive. Sometimes we tend to see God as stern and angry and unforgiving, even legal. We need to see Jesus as gentle, we say, loving and forgiving. Sometimes the gospel message is presented very wrong, as though Jesus did something to change the attitude of God toward man from condemnation to forgiveness. This text tells us that it was God who started it all. God sent his son, and it was love that caused him to do it. Behind everything is the love of God. Secondly, the mainspring of God's being is love. It's easy to think of God as looking at people in their disobedience and rebellion and lack of heeding his warnings. People want to think of that God is seeking allegiance from people to satisfy his own desires for power his own desire for a subject universe. The tremendous thing about our text is it shows God as not doing things for himself, but for us. It was not to satisfy his desire for power that God acted. It was not to bring the universe to heal. It was to satisfy his love for people. God is not like an absolute monarch who treats each person as a subject to be reduced to total obedience. God is the Father who cannot be happy until his wandering children have come home to him. God does not smash people into submission. He yearns over them and woos them in love. That's the story of the prodigal son over and over and over again. The father runs to meet the son and loves the son and is waiting for his son to return. Then thirdly, we find the width of the love of God. It was the world that God so loved, not a nation, not the good people, not the people who loved him, but the world, the unloved and unlovely, the lonely and those who have no one else to love them. 
The people who love God and the people who think about God, the people who rest in love for God, and the people who spurn the love of God, all are included in this vast love, the love of God. Augustine said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. I read a beautiful illustration recently. The story is told of a man who had the assignment of printing Luther's translation of the Bible into German. He cared little for the task and carelessly dropped some proofs on the floor. One day his daughter picked up a scrap of paper on which a portion of this scripture had been printed. For God so loved the world that he gave. The rest of the verse was missing. The little girl was delighted with her words, and her mother asked her the reason for her happiness. She handed a piece of paper to her mother who read it. What is it he gave, she asked. The child answered was filled with wisdom. I do not know what he gave, but if he loved us well enough to give us anything, we need not be afraid of him. You see, you can be assured of this. If God was willing to give his only son, who was one with him, then he will with him only do good things for us. That you can be assured of. Let's look at verses 17 through 22 now and find out about the love and judgment of God. In these verses, we read the following, verse beginning at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, but lest his deeds should be revealed and exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Let's look at and see what the scripture says about this. The narrative up to this point has been of the love of God. Suddenly we are confronted with judgment and condemnation and conviction. The question is, how can this both be true? It's quite possible to offer a person an experience in nothing but love, and for that experience to turn out a judgment. Here's an example. Suppose you love classical music, and you introduce a friend to that music by taking them to a concert. Before long, they are bored and staring around space and looking off in the distance. When the concert is over, the friend states that the music was terrible and horrible. The fact is, the music is not offended by the thinking and feeling of that individual. The person has been judged as incompetent in liking the music, the experience which was designed to bring them to a new happiness has become a judgment. This is the same with Nicodemus. The truth remained, but he was judged by whether he accepted it or not. It remains the same with us today. We have the choice to accept the truth of God's word or not, and we are judged by the choice we make. This is so with Jesus. 
If a person's soul goes out in a thrill to the wonder and beauty of Jesus, that person is on the way to salvation already. But if they are confronted with Jesus and they see not the beauty and wonder, then they stand condemned already. The reaction has condemned them. God sent Jesus in love. God sent his son for that person's salvation. But that which was sent in love has become that person's condemnation. It is not God who has condemned that person. God loved the person. They condemned themselves by their reaction to God's love, not his gift. The individual who reacts from hostility to Jesus has loved the darkness rather than the light. The sad thing about good people is that they have within them a certain conscious element of condemnation. The person who is engaged in an honorable task does not have any fear of the night. Rather, we need the light of God to shine on us and reveal to us ourselves. It is only the evildoer who does not want, wish to see themselves and does not want anyone else to see them either. Such a person will inevitably hate Jesus Christ because Christ will show them what they are and that is the last thing they want to see. By a person's reaction to Jesus Christ, that person is revealed. If they regard Christ with love, even a yearning to know him, there is hope for that person. He who was sent in love has to that person become a message of hope. There is only one answer to the statement for God so loved the world, and that answer is, God so loved me, then I will love God. Loving God and believing on Jesus Christ is committing yourself to him completely and absolutely in simple trust as the way, the truth, and the eternal life. Eternal life can only come by a vital relationship and fellowship with the eternal God. The reason believing in Jesus is so necessary is because it is the only way to come into fellowship with the eternal God. Always remember this. The best proof of a Christianity is a true believing Christian who lives and walks and talks the walk. I recently ran across a beautiful old hymn that we used to sing in the church often. It's called, He's a Wonderful Savior to Me. It goes like this. I was lost in sin, but Jesus rescued me. He's a wonderful Savior to me. I was bound by fear, but Jesus set me free. He's a wonderful Savior to me. For he's a wonderful Savior to me. He's a wonderful Savior to me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. He's a wonderful Savior to me. He's a friend so true, so patient, and so kind. He's a wonderful Savior to me. Everything I need in him I always find. He's a wonderful Savior to me. He is always near to comfort and to cheer. He's a wonderful Savior to me. He forgives my sins. He dries my every tear. He's a wonderful Savior to me. Verse number four says, Dear grows the love of Jesus day by day, for he's a wonderful Savior to me. Sweeter is his grace while pressing on my way. He's a wonderful Savior to me, for he's a wonderful Savior to me. He's a wonderful Savior to me. I was lost in sin. But Jesus took me in. He's a wonderful Savior to me. 
Would you join with me in prayer this morning? Lord, we thank you that you are a wonderful Savior to us. You picked us out of sin and set us on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us. We have not chosen you. You chose us to be your children and your servants, and we are glad that we can follow you and be one of your children. For the man or the woman who has never accepted Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that today they will respond in faith and accept Jesus and let him become a wonderful Savior to them. I pray that they will pray this simple prayer, Jesus, come into my life, make me a new creature in Christ Jesus, and I'll give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just as I am. Yes, he is a wonderful Savior to me. Thank you, Pastor, for this close-up look at John 3.16. Will you join us next week when Pastor Bennett brings more of the Gospel of John to us? I'll be looking for you. You can write to Pastor Bennett at pastorb at lifespringmedia.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.